Um, we're so thankful for the entire Hera family. We do want to continue to pray for Brother Hera's mother and, and Brother Jonathan's grandmother. We want to continue to pray. Amen. She did have a surgery and then I think a stroke and a seizure uh, after that surgery. But uh, according to the family today, she's kind of coming out of that and having some better days and expected to make a complete recovery. And we thank God for that. Amen. God's healing power and delivering power. But we're thankful for this family and their contribution. You know, every one of the Harrahs, amen, that have started coming here to the Lighthouse have contributed in such a mighty and a great way. And it's awesome to see Brother Jonathan Harrah bringing us the word. This is his third time behind this pulpit. And your fourth or fifth time? Something like that? Okay behind a pulpit ministering the word and he has done an excellent job every time and I expect no less tonight through the anointed word of God why don't we stand to our feet and let's pray very quickly for the word of God that's going to come forth and for brother Jonathan tonight in the name of Jesus Lord we love you we're so thankful for your grace and your mercy your power and your love we ask God as your word goes forth tonight your already anointed word that Lord we would feel your anointing rest on the speaker and that you would also let your anointing rest on us as receivers God let us be better and closer to you as we leave this place because of what we have heard and experienced God and felt in the name of Jesus and everybody said in the name of Jesus Amen. God bless you, Brother Jonathan. Come teach. Amen. Praise the Lord. First, I want to say yes. Thank you so much for praying for my grandmother. She seems to be doing a little bit better. She had, um, I think it was seven hours of heart surgery on Monday, and there was a little bit of complications later that evening, but she's been doing better since then. I very much so appreciate that. She's very important to our family, obviously. I also want to thank uh, Pastor for giving me the opportunity. He's not here, but third time speaking, you know, second night of general conference. That's really amazing and powerful now, but I do, I do give honor to him and thank him for the opportunity to be here and speak to you guys. And tonight, um, I'm going to preface my entire sermon, everything I'm going to say, I'm going to preface the sermon uh, by saying some of what I am going to say maybe a lot of it could be taken out of context and maybe be given to the wrong connotation for lack of better words so I'm asking you to hear me out throughout the entirety of the sermon and listen maybe to the end before you fully judge what I'm trying to get at because certain statements might come across different to you I don't know we'll see and I'm going to start with one of those statements and maybe it's a bold one here we go again hear me out to the end my first statement is you don't need to ask God for everything you don't need to ask God for everything okay what do you mean by that well let me explain it I'm going to probably do it in a little bit of an unorthodox way and I'm going to go about it in two different directions and hopefully converge on something that makes for a coherent thought and we will see if I don't do it I apologize brother Perryman is here he can wrap it all up and make it make sense for you guys that's what he's paid to do all right so I've had the opportunity over the last few years a uh, couple of years I guess to teach on almost a weekly basis on uh, certain subject matter in trainings and whatnot and one of those trainings is called positive behavior supports and you're like what does this have to do with church honestly probably not a whole lot that's why I said we're gonna get there eventually okay so positive behavior supports the point of the training on positive behavior supports is how to and this is from an uh, an agency side teaching our, 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 our new staff and whatnot how to interact with our clients but it's training and teaching them how to live a more positive more influential a more uh, um, 
meaningful life and have a meaningful life experience. That's one of the things we talk about. And I'd like to start with kind of a, an excerpt from that training, for lack of better words. And some of you might be very familiar with it. If you've ever taken Psych 101 or an introduction to psychology or philosophy class, or if you've been employed with Living with Purpose, which some of you have, you should hopefully be familiar with this. And that is Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Who's, who's heard of Maslow? The people that work at Living With Purpose and this guy. Okay, so a few of us have heard of Maslow. So before I get started with Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, I do want to preface that this is not a Christian philosophy. All right, Maslow was by no means a Christian. He was really a humanistic philosopher who came up with a lot of different stuff beyond this, and I don't justify or tell you anything that he said, and I'm not building on this as any sort of doctrine that you should live your life by, but I am using it as kind of a teaching method, hopefully to help you better understand how we as humans think. Maslow's hierarchy of needs goes as such, all right? It's kind of a pyramid. If you've ever seen it, it looks like the, the food pyramid, but it is definitely not that. We have a graphic here. It's a triangle, and the philosophy is the lower you are on the the pyramid, the more needs you have, okay? The higher you get, the less needs you have. But for every time that you address one of those lower needs, it makes you move up in the scale, okay? And you're going to need more and more. So the very basics of it, all right, and just get past the teaching part because we'll get to somewhere, I hope. But the very basis of it is we have to have our physiological needs met in life, okay? So that would be food, air, water, some place to live, clothes to wear, glasses if you wear glasses. We have to have those needs met in life before we can ever move up to something better in life. And the very next thing is we need to have safety things uh, met in our life, our safety needs, whether that be personal security, a job, employment, resources, health, property, having a home that's consistently there at all times. That's the next level, right? These are called lower level needs in Maslow's philosophy, all right? The next one is love and belonging, or a sense of relationship, of healthy relationships. So before we can ever get to a healthy relationship, we have to have those other two things categorized in our life. The lower needs, the love and belonging then takes place. We get to have friendships, we begin to have a sense of belonging and a family, a sense of community, those things all take shape. Those are the lower level needs, all right? And then we get to step up to what is the first higher level need, and that is our esteem, our sense of achievement, a, a sense that we belong and that we are doing something and that we're, we're, we're getting A's on tests, we're getting promotions at work, whatever it might be, we're stepping up this ladder and we feel there's recognition and there's self-esteem that grows. That self-esteem is what able, is able to propel us to uh, Maslow's last concept. And the last concept is by far the hardest one to explain, and truthfully, in no way am I going to do it justice tonight. So if you want to know more about Maslow, go read about him, because there's books upon books upon books on this last little uh, level here, and it's called self-actualization. Most of the time when I ask people what that means, they usually give me something to the effect of realizing who you are, or being actual with yourself or some generic definition that really goes no place. But at the very heart of it is it, it's a desire to become the most that you can be as a human being. being. You're content with yourself. You're accomplishing the things you're supposed to. You're doing what you were put here on earth to do. That's what self-actualization or what Maslow dictates is self-actualization. Now, what you're saying is what in the world does all this have to do with church? 
Maybe you're saying that. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're hanging on and you're going to get with me and that's perfectly fine. But to answer that, remember I said I had to go in two different directions. So that's my first direction. My second direction is the spiritual direction, all right? And we're going to go to the most spiritual person in history, as my daughter yells at me. The most spiritual person in history, Jesus. And that's going to be our first scripture for tonight. And there is going to be a few scriptures for tonight, so hopefully you guys can follow along. But our first scripture is Luke 12 and 22. All right, I'm reading from the ESV. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, and what you will put on. I don't think he's talking about weight there, but maybe. Uh, For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. No, he's talking about clothing. Okay. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his or her lifespan? If then you are not able to do that small thing, why are you anxious about the rest? God, Jesus, here is saying, he's telling us not to worry. Not to worry about the small things. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your clothing. He's telling us that he's going to take care of all that. He's saying he doesn't want us to live in a life of anxiety, a life of worry, a life of stress. Instead, he wants us to do something totally different. And that's where when you scroll down a little bit in your Bible and you go to Luke 12.30, you find what he wants us to do instead. He says, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. Everybody's needing those things. And the Father knows you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom and all of those other things are going to be taken care of. I think we as Christians have a tendency to get stuck in those basic areas. Those basic life needs. And our prayer life has a tendency to get stuck in that basic area. We get stuck worrying about the basics. Oh, how am I going to pay my mortgage? Where's our next meal going to come from? Oh, we're so tight. I don't know what to do. We get stuck in those areas. We worry about our day-to-day life, and we often neglect what prayer could be. Prayer, the Bible says prayer can move mountains, and we're stuck on basic stuff. We're stuck worrying about today when prayer can move mountains. We worry about the day-to-day life, and we often neglect what prayer could be. We allow, get this, we allow our flesh to dictate what our prayers are. We allow prayers to be dictated by our flesh. Prayer is a spiritual thing. Why do we do that? It's because we get worried about our day-to-day life. We ask God to help in areas that he has already promised us provision. He said, if you seek my kingdom, if you do all of these things, seek my kingdom, read your Bible, do all that good stuff, I'm going to take care of everything else. Remember, Luke 12, 31, he says, Instead, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto you. So I challenge you to start thinking bigger and better. Get your mind off of where you are right now and look to what God has for you. Look for the future that God has for you. Because there's another scripture that's found in Jeremiah 29. You guys probably know it. It's quoted often. It's, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. God has good plans for us. He has something 
better for us in the future. And, and the scripture, that translation used the word welfare. I don't think God's plan for you is for you to be on welfare. Now, I know that's probably getting maybe a little political, and that's not my intention. We won't, we'll, we'll stay off of that. But for just a second, God's plan is not for you to be on welfare. So let's talk about that for a second. It kind of brings me back to my initial statement. You don't need to ask God for everything. And let me explain that for a minute. We spend so much of our time praying for things that we can do ourselves. You're putting things on God that's not his responsibility. God created us with the ability to accomplish a lot. We can do a whole lot. He gave us a lot of skills, a lot of abilities. And I'm not saying don't pray for any of those things. I'm not saying don't talk to God, to God about what you're going through. Totally do that. But what I am saying is sometimes we need to just man up and do it ourselves. Let me elaborate. If we aren't making money to pay the bills, don't ask God for a million dollars. Go out and get a job or another job or another job, whatever it takes to do what needs to be done. If there's strife in your, in your home, if there's strife between you and your spouse, don't just ask God to wish it away and get it to go away. Go talk to your spouse or seek professional help. God has created structures and systems in our lives to better ourselves. That's what it's there for. That's what he's done. And don't take what I'm saying and plug it into a different connotation. That's what I kind of preface the whole sermon with. God can and will help you. He proves it over and over, but sometimes it's nice to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps, stop relying on other people, stop blaming other people, and just do it. We know God can do miracles. We know he can do the incredible things, and there's a lot of stuff. Actually, everything that is done, everything that will be done, is done because of God. But that shouldn't stop us from doing our part. And I say all that to say we can then focus our prayers onto something more meaningful. Less selfish, less self-serving. Prayers, prayers that are for others, for the future, for the church, for growth, for, for, for souls, for lost souls, whatever it is. We then begin instead, like the scripture says, we begin to seek his kingdom. And all that other stuff is going to be taken care of in our life. Because if we seek his kingdom first, if, meaning if we're putting the spiritual things and godly things first, if we, if we do that, we don't have to worry about the basic worldly stuff. If we keep doing our best, living, living for God, doing what's right, reaching out to the lost, reading our Bible, tithing, if we do that, we don't have to worry about where our next food or meal is going to come from or where the clothes are going to come from, where, oh, kids are starting school. I don't know where we're going to get the money to buy them clothes. The mortgage payment's coming up in one week. I don't know what, how we're going to get the money. We don't have to worry about those things when we prioritize and put God first and his kingdom first. All of that stuff will be added unto you. We just have to get our priorities straight. Which leads me again to the Bible. Psalm 37, verse number 1. We're going to read a few verses, and then we're going to skip down in the, the chapter. Psalm 31, 37, 1 says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be not envious of evildoers or wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What he's saying there is, what, what David's saying there is, don't worry about what everybody else is doing. 
their blessings that they're getting or their, whatever is occurring with them or how they're getting by and everything's working out for them. Don't worry about what they're doing. Continue to do good and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he says he'll give you the desires of their heart. But that's not really what I want, where I want to stand or where I want to stay at right now. What I actually want to do is I want to ver- skip down to verse 25 where he, he sums it all up in a single verse. And he says, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. He's never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. That's a promise. That we don't have to worry about all those little things, all those basic things, that God's going to take care of it. He takes care of his children. I have been a father now for two and a half years. And when I became a father, it drastically impacted my thought process on how I perceive God and how he interacts with us. It really did. I mean, I don't know that there's ever been something that occurred, maybe outside of getting the Holy Ghost, that has affected my relationship with God more than having children. That fatherly relationship, I understand it more now, or parent-parental relationship. And there's nothing more that I want in life than to see my children taken care of and their needs being met, even their wants being met in their life. And Scarlett, who's not in here probably because she's being too loud, go figure, has a tendency to repeat herself. Goes something like this. Daddy food. Mommy hungry. Ma, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Ma, I'm hungry. And she'll continue this until food is in her mouth. All right? Even to the point that Ashley or I could literally be cooking the food in front of her. It is being, her, the, what she is asking for is literally being prepared in front of her and getting ready to be handed to her, but she is still begging for the food. And really, she didn't even need to ask for it in the first place. We knew she was going to get hungry. It happens. I mean, it's inevitable. She's going to get hungry again. It happens every few hours that she's going to start begging for food. We know that's going to happen. Then there's kind of the opposite of, of, of that situation, that welfare side, if we go back to that that there's times that she says things like, get my wawa, get my water. Usually her cup is right there and she's right here. And she's playing with her Play-Doh too involved, doesn't want to do it herself. And she's begging me to get her water that is literally within arm's reach of her and put it right in front of her. At those times, I am slightly less desirable to stop what I'm doing and do her bidding. She's fully capable of getting the water all on her own, but she wants to continue playing with Play-Doh instead. And I think at times we play that same sort of game with God. And I think he responds in a similar fashion. Give you some examples maybe. God, give me the right words to say in this interview. I really want this job, God. I really need this job. Well, why didn't you study and do your due diligence to prove that you deserve the job? God, my wife complains that I never help. Please, just let her be content. Why not get up and help her? Sorry, that one hits really close to home. Why don't you get up and help her? Or, or God, how about this one? God, help me with this, this test that's in five minutes. I'm so not prepared. Why didn't you study? We try to use God as as some kind of genie to get rid of our problems. 
And I'm going to say this, and this might offend people. I hope it doesn't. Maybe it will. Who knows? We'll find out right now. Um, we ask God dumb questions. And I know there's people that say there's no dumb questions. I vehemently disagree with that. There are very dumb questions. And I think these are examples of some of them. We parlay these really dumb questions up to God, seeing if they stick and seeing if he's going to answer them. And if he doesn't, then we usually get, I guess he doesn't care about me. Or if he does, if he does just happen to answer these needs, and I'm not trying to reduce the needs. I'm sure there has been prayers that are very valid that sound very similar to that, that God has answered because God's awesome and he's graceful and he's generous and he wants to do that. But I think we sometimes just throw these questions out at God, just asking, maybe, well, maybe this won't stick. Maybe, maybe he'll do it. And then we does it, doesn't, we blame him for not caring. Or if he does, it, it, you've heard the story of the person who's working on their roof and they fall. And then in the middle of desperation, they call out, God, help me. And they get caught on the, the nail, catches their belt loop, and they're safe. And they say, oh, God, never mind. I'm good. And we treat the situations like that. Oh, I'm good. Never mind. Thanks, God. I don't need it anymore. Or we completely neglect to give him any acknowledgement at all. Again, I'm not saying those prayers can't be valid. I'm not trying to do that. I am simply saying God wants to do so much more for us than the basics. And I think as Christians, we can do better than that. I think we can pray better than that. I think we can prepare better than that. I think we can live our lives better than that. And it kind of brings me full circle, I think, to back to, and you can bring it up again if you'd like, back to that hierarchy of needs thing. Why did I even talk about that to begin with? I don't know. Here we go. If you... All right, he, you guys can't hear that. That was only for him. If you're stuck in these lower-level needs, these physiological needs, as they call them, this need for basic provision in your life, don't be anxious about it. Don't worry about it. Truthfully, you don't even have to ask God about it. He already promised you provision for that as long as you do something a little bit higher. Same with the safety. And if you're looking for loving and love and belonging, if you're looking for a healthy relationship, you are in the exact right place to get it right now. The church is the prime position for a friend, and you just need to reach out and ask for it. And if you're looking for goals and objectives, somehow to, feel, to fill that self-esteem aspect of your life, that need that's lacking in there, then I challenge you to reset your mind a little bit. Stop pursuing your own goals and start looking to his kingdom. That's what he promises. And this is where it really comes back to is this goal right here, this self-esteem banner. If we, and sometimes it's called accomplishment. If we begin to focus on what God wants to accomplish in our lives, we will better feel that esteem. We'll begin to accomplish the things because our, our desires, our, our goals are no longer self-serving. They're no longer selfish. They become directed towards others. And then I think what happens, I think what happens when our goals become kingdom-minded, then we move up and we start to actually minister to people. And ministering is really important. It's literally what we're here to do. We're here to take other people to heaven with us. 
We need to get there ourselves. That's really important. But then we need to take other people with us, which is, I think, a form of self-actualization. And like I said, you guys might not be fully confident on what the definition of self-actualization is, but it's no longer being concerned about yourself, and you start to be proactive, and you start worrying about other people, and you become a proactive member of society. And no longer are you spiraling downward, but you're spiraling upward, and you're pulling other people up with you. In theology, it's called the redemptive lift. All right, we're, we're pulling other people up. Our lives are moving up in a spiral position, and now we're pulling other people up with us. But we cannot do that if we're stuck at the bottom, begging and worried about what God has already promised us. So, piano can come. You guys can stand, if you would, with me. I'm winding down. In summation, really, he'll do what he promised he would do. You just need to do what you're supposed to do. And there's a saying, it, it goes like this, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. Has anybody heard that before? When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. And those things, I mean, that can go from a spiritual side to just a life side. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. If I don't know what's going to happen with my bills, I'm going to pray about it. That's great. I'm going to do all that. But I'm also going to start working and I'm going to start doing what I can to make that provision in my life that God's promised me. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me here to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, the good things, which will not be taken away from her. In this portion of scripture, Martha truly had every reason to be stressed out. Jesus seemingly just showed up in her village, showed up at her house, and now Jesus typically didn't travel on his own. He had a band of like 12 people with him, plus whoever knows what else, however many other people. So, you know, she might have been all of a sudden cooking for anywhere from 10 to 20 people. And it stressed her out. And it made her kind of frustrated that her sister's sitting in the other room not helping her. Very valid reason to be a little bit frustrated. But what she did, and I, I say this word very strongly, she had the audacity to accuse Jesus of not caring. She did. She said in verse 40, she says, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care? Jesus, the same person who fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, fish, sorry, five loaves and two fish. She's worried about cooking dinner for these people, and she's so distracted with what the problem that's in front of her that she can't even look past and see what's important. Her sister, Mary, is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to the great I am talk about his kingdom and the future and what's going on, but she was so focused in the present and what's going on and distracted by this small little trivial need in front of her that she could not get past that. We do that same exact thing. 
God, I, I don't know what to do. I, I just need to get through today. I need to get through this work day, and then I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll, 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 I'll do that tomorrow, God. I, I'll talk to Joe tomorrow when I'm at work. I know I need to. I, I know I need to tithe, but the mortgage is coming up at the end of the week. I will tithe next week. I'll get it done. I promise. We start making compromises and we start arguing with God. And like I said, parlaying these prayers up to him to justify some of our decisions. Or, like I said, sometimes we don't even take the little step that we can take ourselves to get things done. And I don't know where everyone is in life right now. I don't. I don't know you. I'm not omniscient in any form at all. But I know that some of us are struggling in life. Trying to just get through the day, get through right now, get through right now so we can live tomorrow and get through tomorrow and then we'll get through the next day because that's life and it's hard. And some of us are putting off that obligation that we already know we need to do. Whichever category you're in, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. You just have to take that little leap of faith, whether it be, like I said, doing that little thing that you know you need to do in your direction with God, but you're apprehensive to do it for whatever reason. Maybe it's giving up something. Maybe it's going to talk some, to somebody, but you're apprehensive and you just need to take that leap of faith. Or maybe you're the person that's sitting there with terrible anxiety and worry about what's going to come and the bills and everything that's adding up and my kids are acting horrible and everything is going wrong and I'm gonna lose my job. And you're worried about all of those basic things that he's already promised you provision for. God is here for you. And he'll provide for you because he has plans for you. He promised you good things. And those good things did not start with you at a lowly place, unable to get up and do anything and dying in a pit. That's not how they're gonna start. They're going to start with you trusting him and moving past and taking a step forward and trusting him and knowing that there's good things and good things planned for you. Don't let yourself get stuck in the basics. So they're gonna sing, but, and I, I don't really have a, a need for an altar call. I, I, honestly, this I think is more so action when you step out. But what I think we can do is I, I, I ask you to close your eyes. Close your eyes and just begin to evaluate where you are. Begin to think about where you are in life. Are you, are you at a place where there's something that you're, you're just not willing to step out? You're not willing to take that next step in faith and, and know that God's gonna take care of you? Are you so struggled and, and laden, heavy, and, and unable to just get up and start doing what you're supposed to be doing? Wherever you're at, just know God is there. And begin to pray to that effect. Ask for his help, ask for his peace, ask for his deliverance, and he will be there with you. The scripture says, and I've used it before, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. There's two things that that scripture shows to me. It shows that he's both omniscient and omnipresent. He knows your need and he's right there for you. He's able to catch your need, but he's still able to be right next to you and take care of you. God is there for you.